Hello and happy new year. Welcome to Rock and Road Pod, which is the podcast about motorcycles, cars and music or motoring and music if you want to have some alliteration. This is series 7 episode 2 and on this episode I'm going to test out another pickup truck because I love them. And I'm going to try out an Isuzu D-Max this time. I also talked to Geddy Lee, the absolute legend from Rush about his new book, which is called My F in Life. The book is a fascinating read, and I chat to him about that and his life in music. I also talked to the lovely Emma Franklin, the deputy editor of MCN Motorcycle News, about all the exciting motorbikes and things to look forward to in 2024. So this is Leona Graham. This is my podcast, Rock and Road Pod. And first of all, let's go and check out that truck. This is the new look Isuzu D-Max automatic and this particular one is the dl40 there are three ranges the dl20 dl40 and the v-cross which is like the top of the range one which has got the most towing power and off-road facilities but this look was updated in 2023 so it's still the current one to have but let's have a look at uh, some of these updates that took place just a few months ago uh, first of all, the front grille. Now, this is really, really impressive. And it's got like a double chrome bit at the front, which I think is very aesthetically pleasing. I like a beefy looking car or truck in this case. It's got LED headlights, although I think some of the indicators are not LED. And as you come round the side, the wing mirror has got a beautiful chrome top. Sort of a third of it is in chrome on the top part. And the wheels are 18-inch alloys and they come in like a blacked out or in this case, in my one here, I've got a two-tone version with black and chrome, which looks really stunning. Side steps. Well, they're plastic, um, but you'd only notice that if you're looking up close. They look all right from a distance. They've got silver and black on them and you have chrome door handles. Coming round to the back, it's got iSuzu in huge writing on the back and pickup of the year, what van award 2023 winner. Uh, it's got stuck on the back, which is always nice to be reminded of and D-Max in chrome writing. Now, as we open up the boot here, my one has got the double cab pickup rooftop as well. So it's just open that top part. But then have a listen to this as you open the tailgate. Normally it goes thunk as it comes flying down. But have a listen to this one. Well, there was no sound because it opens really slowly with hydraulic arms, which is great to stop that kind of slam that you normally get. And then inside, absolutely in huge area here to uh, keep all your tools, or in my case, DJ equipment, really, really big. I'd have to have the bed rug on mine, though, because I had some DJ equipment here the other day and it just slid around. So it needs to have that bed rug, I think, to get a bit of grip. And the other nice thing is when you do open this tailgate, a light comes on in this back area so you can actually see what you've got inside. Right, let's close it up. Coming around now to the back seats. Oh, in, in all of these double cab pickups, it's always a little bit tight inside, but this isn't too bad at all, actually. Um, and it's got a USB charging point here, um, which the kids will be pleased about. It's got air vents. And what's this on the back of the seat? Maximum 4kg, what's that? Oh, it's a little like coat hook. Okay, that's quite handy. And it's got a pocket here um, at the back to keep maps, or in my case, I've got a Beano and a Dandy annual 2024 because <laughs> Dexter's been in the back here. We're just closing this back door. Uh, it has got um, electric windows and the door bin here 
just enough to fit one drink. It's a bit small. Coming round to the front. Right, the passenger side. Um, again, I can see we've got a USB point here and a 12 volt point. You've got a dial here which takes you into four wheel drive. And looking at the glove box, glove box has got a key on it, which is quite handy, but the whole glove box is taken up by this gigantic manual. And the glove box isn't really that big, so it really fills the whole thing. Now, I'm in the driver's seat, and this has electric controls for the driver's seat. I don't think the passenger seat does. I'm joined by Dexter now. Has your side got electric controls? No. No. Okay, but we do both have heated seats, so that's quite nice. But just with it, the driver's the only one with the electrics. But then the reason they've made these sort of savings here and there is to keep it affordable, because some of these pickup trucks are just ridiculous amounts of money. This one is in the more affordable range, um, and I'll get the exact price shortly. But if you want to compare this to the Ford Ranger, the Hilux, Navara, or the VW, I think this one is the most economical. So when you get in, you put your foot on the brake and there is a button. And it's got a nice beefy motory sound to it. It's absolutely freezing today, so I'm going to put the heated seats on. And the air conditioning is all lovely little buttons. So really easy to use. And then you've got your nine inch display above that, which has got the DAB radio on. Now, before I took this car out, I had to go with the radio because somebody left it with a bunch of radio stations that should never be listened to. So I've programmed it all now for absolute radio, absolute classic rock, absolute 70s, absolute 80s, etc. However, it was really, really hard to find the stations. The way this radio is set up, I don't know what they've done to make it so hard, but it's virtually impossible to find stations that you want to find. Um, but I was obviously determined, being a presenter on absolute radio, to find them. But if you are just an average listener, you're not going to go to those lengths to find the radio station you want, or in this case, find absolute radio. Okay, so the gear lever is park, reverse, neutral and drive and it's a nice sort of ergonomic feeling gear knob. Um, the only thing is, is that when you change gear, it doesn't light up which one you're in or show you in any way which one you're in unless you look at the actual dashboard in front of you, which is weird and has taken some getting used to because we're like, are we in reverse? What? Which gear are we in? So anyway, I can confirm we're in reverse and a nice proper handbrake, which I shall now release. It's got a rear parking camera, which is handy coming out of this drive. If you've seen any photographs of my house, you'll know I have to negotiate past a ridiculously large tree to get out the drive. That's alerting me that there's a car further down the road and that car's now gone. There's loads of alerts on this car. The first time I drove it wasn't on deck, so I'm jumping all over the place. What's that noise? What's that noise? Yeah, Be but mostly all the noises were um, the beeping because of the speed limit. I don't know what you mean. I never go over the speed limit. Right, and let's pull away, let's have a listen. Obviously feels chunky and clunky and noisy, uh, but that's what you get in a commercial vehicle like this. Doesn't bother me, just get used to it. You 
indicator is brilliant. And I mention that because on our car, a BMW 2 Series, um, it's so annoying to switch off. It, it won't, the thing won't go off. This one's gone off nicely. Now, some people have said that the infotainment screen hasn't really been updated in this latest version. And others have said, actually, do you know what? That's not a problem because we'd rather not pay thousands of pounds more for the latest technology and it works adequately. And I have to agree, actually, it does seem to be fine. As I mentioned, the DAB is a bit of a pain, but once you've navigated it and you've saved your favorites, you're okay. And it does have sat nav and things like that. So, you know, for a, for a commercial vehicle, you don't always need to have the latest tech. Um, so that cancels that out. We obviously can't do 60 miles an hour on these residential roads around London, but I'm going to try doing 0 to 30. Dexter, can you count up in seconds? Here One, we go. Go three, now. Three, four, five, six, seven. That took about six seconds. Yeah, that's all right, isn't it? A good pull away there. Sometimes when you're on a more main road and you want to add a bit of extra welly or you're on a motorway, I've noticed there's a bit of a lag between putting your foot on the accelerator and it's shifting. Uh, doesn't bother me though. I'm not expecting immediate reactions in a pickup truck. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a work vehicle. But can it be used as a family car as well? I think it can. I think it can. I mean, I'm demonstrating right now. Dexter, what do you think of this car as a family car? It is all right, but it is definitely a beast to show off. I think I would buy the car, but no. I would say no because of the how big it is. And so you you have it for showing off, but practically it's a it's probably a bit big. Yeah. Well, that's a wise assessment there, Dexter. I'm impressed with you. Your reviews have got better. You're ten years old now. He's been joining these reviews for quite a few years. I think you were six. Actually, five, possibly, when he first started doing reviews. You should have a look at his first one, actually. It was at the car wash, and he let loose with the jet wash. It's on YouTube. Okay, so I reversed into a parking space in a supermarket, and according to the cameras, it looks like I'm going to hit two metal posts. So I left the car quite forward, but when we got out, it's miles away, so the cameras are a bit misleading, actually. Look at the photographs on Instagram about this, at Rock and Road Pod. There's quite a lot of information on the dashboard. Got a little mini computer screen on here. And it just said to me, outside temperature is low. Yes, I know that. We just got in the car. It is freezing today. We've seen a few little snow flurries, haven't we, Dexter? Yes, a lot. Um, but not enough for it to... We want proper snow, don't we? We don't want to see a flurry. We want to see the real thing. Yes, we definitely want to see the real thing because I want to play in the snow. So to sum up, the new look Isuzu D-Max DL40 4x4 double cab automatic transmission truck, it costs just under £34,000 excluding VAT. And the automatic price is half excluding VAT. It's got a five-year, 125,000-mile warranty, 3.5-tonne towing capacity, over one-tonne payload, and five-year UK roadside assistance. Oh, and a 12-year anti-corrosion warranty as well. So pretty impressive, lots of extras, and all the details about this with all the photographs are on the Instagram page at Rock and Road Pod. 
Now, Getty Lee is a Canadian musician best known as the lead vocalist, bassist and keyboardist for Rush. He joined the band in September 1968 and he's an award-winning musician. His style, technique and skill on the bass have inspired many rock musicians. And in 2013, Rush were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, Getty Lee's just brought out a book. It's called My in Life and I talked to him about it. Hi, Leona. Um, hi there. So, obviously, you've written this amazing autobiography, My Effing Life. Um, you use the phrase effing quite a lot, actually. Is that one of your expressions? Well, uh, I have a more intense version of that that <laughs> usually litters my conversations. But uh, <laughs> during the writing process, my uh, co-writer and editor, uh, Daniel Richler, uh, found it necessary to soften some of those uh, F-bombs uh, with an E-F-bomb. So uh, hence the title and, and hence yeah. the the propensity for me using my new favourite word. I quite like it, actually. It made me laugh. I think it made the sentences sound funnier than if you'd used the full original version of it. So I think it really works. Yes, thank you. Um, it, it does give the other version much more impact when I do use When you use, <laughs> that's true. So what was the process of writing this book like and, you know, reliving your life from the start? Um, well, I mean, there at times it was quite funny and quite fun, you know, thinking back to the 60s and my, and my uh, uh, early teens and the early days of being in rush or trying to become a musician, you know, we tend to look at those things through typically rose-colored glasses. So uh, thinking about the long drives and the goofy backstage antics and opening for all these other bands and all those insane things we got into, um, that was quite fun. Uh, obviously, reliving uh, my early childhood and the loss of my father and the chapter that deals with my parents' survival uh, through the Holocaust was a much more serious and um, revealing process for me. Yeah. Uh, and also later in the book, when I was describing or hoping to show a peek behind the curtain through the more difficult years of tragedies that befell uh, our drummer Neil Peart, and of course, eventually his his diagnosis and his eventual passing. Those, of course, needed to be handled in a much more considered and sensitive manner. Uh, yes. And I had to choose my words uh, carefully, not to uh, betray my loyalty to him. At the same time, allow readers to really understand what. Alex and I were going through and what, uh, you know, what that period really felt like. Yes. And coming back to the beginning of the book, um, you dedicate a large part of the beginning to your parents. They were uh, Jewish Holocaust survivors from Poland. Um, obviously, this had an impact on your life. How would you say it's had an impact? I know you've dealt with it in depth in the book, but just for the purposes of the radio show here, how has it had an impact on your life? Oh, well, I mean, it. <laughs> my value system is formed by uh, living in the household I lived in, uh, by the duty after my dad passed away, the duty I was assigned as a member of a 
you know, sort of religious Jewish household and being the oldest male I had to perform, uh, you know, almost a year's worth of prayer duties and rigor in order to honor my father's passing. And so I thought, I think that that taught me discipline in a way and was also at the same time a little bit oppressive and explained why I broke out of that grief with a fever and threw myself into music. And thankfully, music was a lifeline to me and something that I found at an early age that I could do pretty well. So, um, of course, telling my parents' story and the life that they led in the Holocaust had many purposes for me. Number one, uh, again, my outlook, my values on 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 the world and, and how lucky I am to actually be here and how uh, my parents survived by the skin of their teeth is important to show the kind of person I am. But it's also important in the times that we're living in to restate what actually occurred uh, and to do honor to my mother uh, and the life that she led uh, which was almost 96 years uh, before she succumbed. So, um, and also to leave a document behind for my family, for my children, my grandson, and any children that will come after him. I think it's important for them to have a, as accurate a document as is possible to... And, and talking of documents, so there's obviously what you've written, but you found some actual old documents as well, didn't you? Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. I had a lot of help, and I was fortunate because uh, there are a number of institutions out there, like the Shoah Foundation, that had interviews with many people from uh, my mother's period, my mother's village, even my own relatives I found on those. And there's an organization called Numbers to Names that uh, found images by putting my mother's image into an uh, artificial intelligence database they found photos of my family in the displaced persons camp in 1946 after they had been uh, liberated uh, there were documents from the polish museum that were sent to me that were mind-blowing uh, that showed the arrest of my grandfather and and my mother's report cards and and on and on so yes uh, I got help from some surprising places. Yeah. And you mentioned your father passing away. Now, he was quite young, and obviously you were young as well. And you had a grieving process within your Jewish religion of, was it a year? Um, and you couldn't listen to music in that time. That's right, yeah. Um, it was about 11 months and one day was the, the prescribed grief period. Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was I was falling way behind my pals. So uh, when that time was over, I was desperate to uh, catch up, and I just threw everything I had into finding out what songs were cool, what bands were happening, and started growing my hair, et cetera, et cetera. Incredible. You had no music for almost a year, and then you came out, and the, the whole pop world had exploded, and you must have been desperate to catch up, and so you were listening to all this amazing music. And then what made you think, I want to play music? Well, I don't know. To be honest, you know, I was listening to these bands and I thought, wow, it's cool. And it just, you know, I was in love with the Yardbirds and, and there were a few 
other bands, Beach Boys, that that had really caught my uh, attention. And it just so happened the person that lived next door to me was selling an acoustic guitar, and he just wanted $10 for it. And I asked my mother if I could have $10. And I don't know what got into my mind, but I just thought it would be great to try to play it. And I found that I could figure out songs relatively easy. And so that made me so happy because I I found something that I could do really well and something that I could escape the 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 sadness of my household into. One of your very early bands, um, you're originally gonna play guitar and then you need they needed a bass player and you kind of did straws or something to decide who would be the bass player. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I like to joke that no bass player chooses to be one. They always are assigned <laughs> position. Right? So, Is that what happened? That's pretty much what happened. You know, right. I, I was playing guitar, but the, the the bass player in our little, you know, bed, it wasn't even a garage band yet. It was just a bedroom band <laughs> that basically said, okay, you play bass. All right, I'll okay. do it. So it kind of happened that way, but then it turned out to be the perfect instrument for you, right? Well, yeah, I just, I just, you know, uh, fell into it. I loved it. Uh, and um, it had two less strings in guitar and they were bigger. So it was easier to play for me. Yeah. And so uh, I just thought, what a great idea. And uh, I just threw myself into it wholeheartedly and decided I would try to figure out as many songs as I could by the bands I liked and, and uh, it just went like that and, and it worked for me. So uh, I was fortunate to find it. Yes. And obviously at this time, then you started to grow your hair. And were there issues with you having long hair at this time? Well, there were issues at home. Yeah, my mother hated it and she was embarrassed by it. And and my whole family was against me. My uncles, they would always, you know, belittle me and... and uh, you know, uh, give me hell and try to get me to to cut my hair. And uh, I just basically would not, you know, it was, I had done my duty. I had done everything they asked of me. And now it was time for me just to say to them, fuck you, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. Did your mom one time, rather than have a photograph of you taken, have a portrait painted with short hair? That's right. Yeah. Tell for, us about uh, that. So uh, <laughs> for my bar mitzvah. <laughs> It's typical in a in a Jewish family that when a child has their bar mitzvah, they pose for this, you know, this official portrait where they're wearing their, you know, religious garb and there they are, today I am a man type of thing. And she refused to let a photographer photograph me because my hair was too long. So she took a picture of me from about a year earlier at <laughs> one of my cousin's bar mitzvahs. And she gave it to an artist who painted an impression of me, a false impression of me. And so for years, it hung in her dining room, perpetuating the big lie, right? Oh, that is just hilarious. And the kind of thing my mother would do, actually, but just really, really made me laugh in the book. I thought that was fantastic. Do you still have that portrait? Well, it's funny. After my mom passed away, uh, I took possession of it, and it's sitting—it's <laughs> sitting in my library as we speak. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to know it still exists. That's that's definitely a piece of history. When your dad had passed away, it was after this time you discovered that he was a musician, but you didn't know this before. No, I didn't know this till years later. After I was already 
a fairly successful musician and I had visited an aunt in Detroit and she was telling me this story about how my father played the balalaika in the old country and and he would play it at weddings and things and it just floored me I was totally stunned to hear that because my mother had never said a word about my dad having any musical aspirations and I don't even recall my dad being hugely interested in music at all so it really it really bowled me over and i was anxious to know more and I, my mother sort of admitted to me sheepishly that he wanted to take his instrument to the new country with him but she thought it was excess baggage so she didn't let him oh, do that yeah Quite so it must have been fascinating to discover that so do you think you've inherited some talents from him well you got to explain it somehow so maybe <laughs> So obviously you were forming bands and playing, as you say, bedroom, garage. And then one of your great friends was already in a band and the bass player couldn't come in one night. And he said, oh, could you step in? Is that how it happened? That's how it happened. Yeah. Uh, I was friends with this kid, Alex Zivoyinovich, uh, and we were schoolmates and uh, we were really becoming very, very good close pals. And he played in a band called Rush. And, uh, it's exactly as you just said. The bass player couldn't make the gig, and he called me up. He said, can you fill in? I said, sure. I went down to this uh, drop-in center, which was in the basement of a church. We set up, and we rehearsed about six songs, which we played over and over again. Uh, and yeah, and they asked me to stay in the band after that. So uh, that's how it all began, my life with Alex Lifeson. Wow. So the other bass player, though, just sort of said, sorry, can't come back. Yeah, they basically, well, he was playing with another band and they actually turned out to be quite a successful band. Uh, in a way, they were a pop band called Ocean and they had a big hit single uh, with a song called Put Your Hand in the Hand. So um, he went on, on to do pretty well. He was a good bass player. And of course, uh, once in a while, we bump into each other. But uh yeah, they opted for me, and that was a good thing for me. So I'm glad. So it was never awkward with you and him then? Oh, no, no, not at all. Oh, that's good. And so obviously that was with the bass, but how did it um, develop and you discover your wonderful vocal range? Well, no one else could sing in that band. Uh, so <laughs> Again, by default. <laughs> yeah, by default. I was, I was the only one that could sing, and I had some experience singing in school, and um so I was a singer and uh, I was, to no one's surprise, a soprano. So uh, that's how my sort of role developed. And I sort of became the uh, bass player singer fashioned after my hero, Jack Bruce. And, and of course, it, my role evolved over the years to, to become many different versions of that. But uh, that's how it started. Yeah, fascinating. And just coming back to those original documents that you found, you also discovered that your middle name isn't what you thought it was. No, no. My mother had forgotten my middle name <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> um, you know, in our tradition, for the immigrants that moved from the old country to the new country, of course, they didn't speak English when they landed. So, they would give the immigration officer their uh, their uh, Yiddish name or their Polish name, and he would write down an approximation of that in English, and that's sort of how they got their anglicized names. And so when when we were born, 
they they gave us all Yiddish names and uh, and then they would do the same thing, do an anglicized approximation in order for the paperwork, in order for us to be assigned to school. But my mother couldn't remember which one they had chosen for me. So uh, because all there were three of my cousins, including myself, that were all named after my uh, grandfather who had perished in the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And so um, we all had first names that started with the letter G and middle names that started with the letter L. And she just simply forgot which one had been assigned to me. <laughs> right. So what did you think your middle name was? I thought it was Lorne. In school, they they called me Gary Lorne Winerib. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got my birth certificate, finally, when I turned 16, because I wanted to get my driver's license and also join the music- musicians union, when the driver's license arrived, it it said my middle name was Lee. And I, I said, Mom, what the fuck? Like, what's going on? <laughs> what did she say to that? She said, oh, yeah, now I remember. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> oh, that's classic. So that's how the Lee part came about. And then Geddy was, how did that evolve from your original name? Well, my mother had a thick accent. Uh, uh, and uh, when she was calling me, uh, one day in front of one of my friends, you know, she would say, hey, Gaddy, come in the house. And she was saying Gary, but it sounded like Getty to my friend. And so he basically said, why are you calling him Getty? And uh, um, I said, she's not calling me Getty. She's calling me Gary, but she has a thick accent. So he just started calling me Getty for a laugh. And it just stuck with him and all my friends started calling me Getty. And Eventually, uh, I just changed it legally because even my my sister, my brother were calling me Getty and my mother started calling me Getty f- for legit. So, Oh, wow. Even your mom did. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, how would you recommend this book to anybody who's just thinking about, you know, picking up this book? I mean, h- how could you sort of summarize it, do you think, in a way? Oh, wow. Well, I don't know if I can, but, you know, it's a story. Uh, it's an it's an. Um, I would say an unusual rock and roll memoir that uh, covers a lot of territory. There's a lot of uh, obvious rock and roll stories of my history with my bandmates and how our records were made. There's um, history that goes before me into World War II and and how why I'm so lucky to be here, and discusses the you know the strange things that happens to one along the way the losses and the celebrations so it mm. it's a uh quite a i'm lucky to have had such a remarkable life if i do say so myself so mm. i'm happy to have shared it with people that might be interested yeah well i found it fascinating and great to chat to you and sort of summarize a whole book in just a very short space of time there but really really interesting thank you very much Geddy lee Oh, thank you. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. The MCN Minute on the Rock and Road Podcast. Please welcome to the podcast Emma Franklin from MCN. Hi, Emma. How are you? Oh, I'm really well. Thanks, Leona. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Now, what have we got in store for 2024? 
Oh, well, yeah, it is a happy new year because we've had so many new bikes launched over the winter. So if you went to any of the shows, you would have seen how many new models there are. So, yeah, it's just all about the bikes, really. So, yeah, the, the, the bike I'm most personally excited about swinging a leg over is the new Ducati Hypermotard 698. Cool, so even this- sounds cool. It is very cool. It's very cool. And what's cool about it is it's uh, Ducati's first single cylinder um, engine for like decades, basically, since since the Super Mono, um, a very rare sort of sports bike that they produced in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, so the new Hypermotor is going to be super lightweight. It's only going to be about 150 kilograms, but it's going to be able to produce about 76 horsepower as well. So it's got that lightweight, but it's also going to be quite punchy as well. And then it's got all the top spec you'd, you'd expect from a, a Ducati so it's just going to be a hoot to ride that. That does sound great. What else have we got this year? So yeah on the other end of the spectrum we've got something a little bit more worthy than the Ducati so this is interesting from a technical perspective because it's Kawasaki's Ninja 7 hybrid so this is the first uh, full-size hybrid motorcycle that's ever been produced so it's combining um, a 451cc parallel twin engine um, with a small electric motor so it's 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 sort of similar to our uh, hybrid car would work so it's giving you the best of both worlds a bit more punch out of corners but then also the op- option to drive on the electric motor throughout town and also get a bit of fuel economy on the open road as well so that's technically quite interesting do you get to choose when it goes into each mode oh i'm not sure i think you can i -hmm. think you can i'm not sure entirely because some cars i found they decide for you because i thought oh well i'll just get hybrid and Mm -hmm. i'll just use the electric for going around town local journeys but it doesn't let you control it most of them it just decides Mm -hmm. for you so you still end up using petrol yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. I had something similar on. Um, I used to have an Outlander, um, Mitsubishi Outlander hybrid, and you could force that onto electric mode by pressing a button. But yeah, right. I'm, yeah, I'm I think that's sure better. But anyway, yeah, we'll see better. what happens with that. And what's in the next issue of MCN? So, in the next issue, well, it's another new bike, and this one is a triumph of uh, taking the covers off their long-expected new Daytona 660. So, that's interesting because Triumph have had a middleweight Daytona in their range for, well, well, 20 years or so, but it was sort of dropped from the range after they released the limited edition uh, 765 Daytona Moto 2 edition, and people have been clamouring for another sort of sporty Daytona. So... Here it is, it's back. Mm. Um, so it's based around the Trident engine, but it's actually been given quite a few sort of engine upgrades. It's got new cams and new crankshafts, new cylinder head to give it a sort of um, power boost. So it's making 93 horsepower. Um, so quite a significant more bit more than the Trident does. So And um, MCN is out weekly, isn't it? Absolutely, every Wednesday without fail. Yeah, it's always there. Okay. Or you can check us out online as well, motorcyclenews.com. Amazing. Thank you, Emma, for the update, and we will catch up with you next time. Yeah, you're very welcome. The MCN Minute on the Rock and Road Podcast. That's it from the podcast this week. I've got some exciting plans for Rock and Road Pod this year, which I will tell you about as soon as possible. Meanwhile, check out the socials at Rock and Road Pod. Thank you for listening, and catch you next time. (laughs) 